Hallelujah. Praise God. Well, we got a little treat for you before we continue tonight. It's so good to have Sister Linda, Brother Jack back. And Sister Linda's got a special thing that God's put in her heart. So I want her to come and share that with us tonight. And uh, praise God for this one of our lady mentoring and mentors. And just praise God for this couple. And we bless them. Let's give them a hand as she comes. Hallelujah. I bless you, girl. Can you hear me? Okay. I'm here tonight um, with a heart of joy and gladness, and I've come to celebrate. The Lord has brought me through to a good place. Um, I had prepared a, a different song, but after I heard Brother Russell's message just prior from Daniel, I really heard the Lord speaking, and I want to sing instead this song which is a celebration of God's faithful love and that his love never fails. The name of Jesus comes from the Hebrew word Yeshua, which means God saves. In James it says, Are any among you sick? Then have them come. Sick is the Greek word kakopatheo. And it means to be sick in body, soul, spirit, mind, heart, physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, inflicted by a circumstance. So I studied that word kakopatheo. To me it sounded like a wind, a very powerful and strong wind. And God then gave me this song. The winds will come and they will go When they blow I may not know But one thing I count on My God saves Oh my God saves His love never fails His love never fails Oh my God my God saves, my God saves, my God saves. Blow winds, blow, I have a shelter for my home. It is the heart of Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. My God saves, my God saves, my God saves. The Lord he gives and takes away But one thing always stays the same Oh my God saves Oh my God saves And so I lift my hands in celebration Standing on a sure foundation I proclaim the power of his name Jesus, 
The Lord is my salvation. He is my sure foundation. The Lord is my salvation. He is my sure foundation. Come join the celebration. Sing, my God saves. Oh, 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 blow winds, blow I have a shelter for my home. It is the heart of Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. His love never fails. His love never fails. Oh, my God, my God saves. Oh, my God saves. Oh, my God saves. Oh, when the winds are blowing, you know your faith is growing. When you're standing without doubt, and you sing and dance and shout, oh, my God saves. Oh, my God. So lift your hands in celebration that you have a sure foundation. Praise His holy name, Jesus, Yeshua, the God who saves. The Lord is my salvation. He is my sure foundation. Lord is my salvation. He is my sure foundation. Come join the celebration. Sing, my God, my God saves. Oh, my God saves. Oh, my God saves. Oh, my God saves. Oh, we'll sing it till the winds have stopped. Then shout it from the mountain tops. Oh, my God saves. Oh, say it without doubt. Oh, sing and dance and shout. Oh, my God saves. Oh, my God saves. Oh, my God saves. Oh, my God saves. Yes, blow winds, blow a heaven. Shelter for my home. It is the heart of Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. His love never fails. His love never fails. His love never fails. Oh, my God, my God, saves. Jesus, Yeshua, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, sis. Hallelujah. She was singing that. I just wonder if we could just pray for those missionaries in Haiti uh, that are facing trial tomorrow. So let, let's just come together on that. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, we lift up those missionaries, those people in prison. Lord, whether they've acted unwisely and un well, not, not well advised,
We pray for favor and mercy as they get ready for court tomorrow. We pray peace over them and over their family. And we just ask you just to cover them with comfort tonight. Just as you delivered Daniel, we ask you to deliver them out of that pit. And Lord, we just thank you for opening doors and bringing the right people to their side to help protect them. And we think you shall rescue them from the hand of that government and from any of those who would want to bring them down, Father. You know their hearts. You know the intentions. And so we just claim the favor, your favor, your divine favor, and your power to rescue them as you did Peter out of that prison. We pray, Father, in Jesus' name. Peace for their families. Peace for their children. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You agree? Amen. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. Well, last week I was sharing with you uh, in the book of Romans. We're still in chapter 2. We're going to try to go get out of there tonight and get to some areas that uh, we can understand. But I want you to see some things about what he was still arguing and debating with the Jews about. But it's also material for us to get a hold of. And I was speaking last week in verses 17 and 20 where he was telling the Jews, do not trust your heritage, your blood heritage, as a reason to, that you're off the hook, uh, but that you are the embodiment of the kingdom of God and you have the knowledge of his will and instructions and you are called to be a light to the Gentiles. I want you to look with me in Isaiah chapter 42 because I believe that's something that God has always told the Israelites, the Jewish people, but I believe he's telling, he has told the church that too, that we represent him, amen? And as they were supposed to take it seriously, we are too, and I just want to share a few scriptures with you here. Isaiah chapter 42, verse 5. This is the New Living. It says, God the Lord created the heavens and stretched them out. He created the earth and everything in it. He gives breath to everyone, life to everyone who walks on the earth. And it is he who says, it is he who says, verse 8, I, the Lord, have called you to demonstrate my righteousness. Say that word with me. Demonstrate. Demonstrate. That's what they were called to do, and that's what we're called to do. And Paul really was bringing this to their attention. You were called to demonstrate his righteousness. I will take you by the hand and guard you, and I will give you to my people Israel as a symbol of my covenant with them, and you will be a light to guide the nations. Uh, the King James says, a light to the Gentiles. And verse 7 goes on to say, and you will open the eyes of the blind, and you will free the captives from prison, releasing those who sit in dark dungeons. I am the Lord, that is my name. Amen, Yeshua. And I will not give my glory to anyone else. And he speaks about the idols, so forth and so on. And he says, now I will prophesy again. I will tell you the future before it happens. So he's talking about him being God and his people have always, and we will always be his people to demonstrate who he is. Now, look with me in Hebrews chapter 4. We're called to demonstrate light to the world. And we support a number of ministries around the world. And uh, thank God for that. And we believe we're going to, we've always increased and not decreased, and we will continue to increase. But one of the people we support is Sister Irini in, in Israel. And you, she's been here twice before. You might have met her, heard her. Uh, she's a Jewish lady who was in Russia who was an atheist. 
and some American ministries, uh, missionaries went over there to minister and she got saved as being an interpreter for these missionaries. And then now her and her husband are back into Israel and they're ministering to Muslims and Jews about Jesus Christ. Now, she had, if she had never seen the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, she would have never been converted and become a light herself. But because she saw the light, she's been converted. Now she's ministering to people who they would even consider enemies. Aren't you glad that God can take you and he can raise you up to be a light? Not to just the Gentiles or the Jews, but a light to the pagans. A light to those who are addicted in drugs. Come on, church. A light to those who are struggling areas of their marriage or their home. You can be a light to those who are struggling with their children. So thank God you're called to be a light. But then we have another thing here in Hebrews chapter 4. Another warning. And this is the New Testament now. And I'm going to read this in the New Living Translation. It says, God's promise of entering his rest still stands. So we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. Demonstration. Experiencing the light of God. For this good news. That God has, that God has prepared this rest. Has been announced to us just as it was announced to them. But it did them no good. Because they didn't share the faith of those who listened to God. For only we who believe can enter into that rest. As the others, for the others, God said, in my anger, I took an oath. They will never enter into my place of rest. Even though this rest has been readily since he made the world. Verse 4 says, we know it is readily because of the place in the scriptures where it mentions the seventh day. On the seventh day, God rested from his work. But in the other passage, God said, they will never enter my place of rest. Verse 6. So God's rest is there for people to enter. Aren't you thankful for that? But listen to what it says here. But those who first heard the good news failed to enter in because they disobeyed God. They what? Disobeyed God. Now, Paul's going to teach in that tonight in, in the book of Romans. You can have the knowledge, but without disobedience, it will not profit. And that's what it's saying here. The promise was made before the world began. God showed from the very beginning of time that the rest and the promise was there. And, and you can know about the promises, but disobedience disqualifies us from walking in the promises. Verse 7. So God set another time for entering to his rest. That time is today. God announced this through David much later in words quite accurately. that said, today when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Now, if Joshua had succeeded in giving them rest, God would never have spoken about another day of rest still to come. Verse 9. So there is a special rest. Say special rest. There's a special demonstration. Aren't you glad for that? There's a special demonstration. A special place of rest in your life. He goes on to say, still waiting for the people of God. Verse 10. For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors just as God did after creating the world. Verse 11. So let us do our best to enter that rest. But if we disobey God, as the people of Israel did, we will fail. Well, that's strong words, huh, church? It says, but if we disobey God, as the people of Israel did, we will fail. 
Then it starts talking about the word of God is alive and powerful, is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. And he is the one to whom we are accountable. Boy, that is a strong word there. He is the one in whom, to whom we are accountable. So hallelujah, we're learning here tonight that the Jewish people, what Paul is going to bring up to them tonight is a warning to us, the church, that just like the Jews disqualified themselves by not believing and obeying God and believing in Jesus Christ, we were able to disqualify ourselves from the promises of entering to his rest, entering into his best by living lives of disobedience. So how many of you know there's a lot of emphasis here in the area of obedience, not just of works or just of knowledge. Now let's look at Romans chapter 2. Let's go ahead and study what we're going to study tonight. Romans chapter 2. And we start getting into some areas. And, and I want to sh share this with you. As I shared at the very beginning, Paul, when he started a certain verse, and you can go back over the archives, I shared where it was. Paul uses the grammar of debate. And he starts debating an imaginary team of debaters as if he's arguing with somebody as he's writing this letter. And he's fighting against the spirit of religion and tradition of man. And so he is still arguing. And the thing about Paul is that as he writes this and as we read this tonight, he never apologizes for how he believes because he's been taught by the Spirit of God how to write down the heart of God and the mind of God for the Jewish people, but also for us, the church. And so he never apologizes. And we don't apologize for what the Word says. He said it. He fired it through the Holy Spirit. And we are just to obey it. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now verse 25 says, For circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. But if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Whoa. So if you break the law, you undo the covenant? Hmm. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law... Will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you who even with your written code and circumcision are a transgressor of the law? You've got the written code. You've got the law and you've got the, the physical work done to you. But because you're disobeyed, you're disqualified. So now those who obey will judge you. For he is not a Jew... Who is one outwardly. Whoa. Nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew. Or called chosen of God. Who is one inwardly. And circumcision is of that of the heart. In the spirit. And not in the letter. Whose praise is not from men. But from God. If you're taking notes, knowledge does not equal total obedience. Knowledge. Well, I'm supposed to do this. I'm supposed to do that. But what are you doing from your heart? Now, we want to look over a few scriptures here. Look with me in Isaiah 52. Isaiah chapter 52 is where we just want to widen what Paul is teaching here. And we'll get back to it in a minute. But in Isaiah 52, verse 5, they had been warned... And they had been pre-towed of dangers. And I want you to hear what God is saying here. 
that the outward just doesn't cut it. Knowledge just won't get you there. I want you to see in Isaiah 52 verse 5. Listen to what God says. Now therefore, what have I here, says the Lord. Wow, he's opening it up. It's exposed. We read in Hebrews 4, we're accountable to God. Here's God's opening up. Now what do I here, says the Lord. That my people are taken away for nothing. You shouldn't have to go through that. You shouldn't be bowed down to that for nothing. Those who rule over them, make them wait, says the whale, says the Lord. And my name is blasphemed continually every day. Remember, I'm sharing with you about we're supposed to demonstrate that we're the people of God. But yet they're under bondage. His name is being blasphemed and, and, uh, continually every day. And it goes on to say in verse 6. Therefore, my people shall know my name. Therefore, they sh shall they know in that day that I am who speaks. Behold, it is I. God is speaking here and he's trying to say, look, I've been speaking to you from the very beginning. But it's not just you hearing me, it's you doing it. And as long as you're hearing but you're not obeying, you're not doing it, you're going to be held under bondage and captivity. So let's look back at Romans chapter 2. He's saying, you're, I'm looking at this situation. You're crying out about the situation. And you don't belong in that situation. But just being blood heritage or circumcised or being a member of a church, we could say today in modern terms, is not going to get you out the circumcision, out of, out of, out of the, uh, the trouble. It's not who you know. It's who you are. Now look at this. In verse 28, it says, For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly. Nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly. God looks where? On the heart. And circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter. Who prays is not from men, but from God. Outward manifestation is nothing for a new covenant Christian. You need to write that down. Outward manifestation is nothing. It's nothing. So many people put emphasis on outward manifestation. But we've reading it here, and Paul is arguing, and he's debating. He says, outward manifestation means nothing before God. It's the inward part. Because why? People will preach to you. You've got to look the part. But Christ is not in a relationship based on your outward person. So what you're trying to show outwardly is empty and Christ has nothing with it. Christ is not in relationship with your works. Christ is relationship with your heart. And that's what Paul is saying here. You're trying to put so much emphasis on the outward. But Christ could care less what you look like. On the outward. He wants to see what's in your heart. He can only have a relationship. He married your spirit. Not your hairdo. He did not marry how you... Paint your face or not paint your face or how you wear and what you wear and when you wear it. He married your heart. And you can do everything outwardly and it means absolutely nothing. It undoes the basis of the faith. Amen. Jeremiah 31, Ezekiel 36, you can read later, spoke of the working of God's Holy Spirit flowing and equipping His people. It is not by being a Jew, by race or heritage, but it's by character. And I love the way this writer wrote this. A Jew, this is what Paul is saying. You're a Jew? Great. You can become a better Jew. Not by 
what you did in the natural, but is by what Christ can do in the heart. You want to become a better Christian? It's not about belonging to a church. It's about doing the works and a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And what's interesting is that in the Hebrew here, this is so awesome. It says that he who does this, it says, whose praise is not from God, but from men. Listen to this. In the Greek, he uses the word Judah, which is the word for worship or praise. And this is what God is, this is what Paul wrote. Paul says, I got such a revelation of this, that if you understand that he is so in love with your heart, and what really impacts him is your heart, that if you will work from the heart and, and, and live for God from the heart, God will actually praise you, and it's the same word we use for praising him. Judah. You understand that it's the inward working that my son is involved in, my spirit is involved with. The outward will take on the inward's appearance as a testimony and demonstration. But it's not based upon that that Christ is wanting that relationship with. But what's interesting here that we don't see in the original Greek is that God's God, God starts praising you. For the sincerity and the obedience of your heart. We know he sings over us. But he praises you. Before all the angels and before all the witnesses and all be heaven. When we obey God and we walk in his statues. And we live and we love for him. It says that God adjudas you as we judah him. When we glory to God in the highest and we walk in perfect harmony with God, God goes glory to Cheyenne or Cayenne in the highest. Glory to Annie in the highest. Glory to Annie. She is my truly beloved daughter. I see her heart. I praise you. I worship you, Annie, as my creation. And I, your creator. Because when you study this in the Greek, God is saying, I, the potter, am proud over the clay. Because now my creation is something praiseworthy. But I praise the vessel made, not for its outward form, but for what I can put inside. I've created you for what I can put in you. Not what I put on you. And by what's in you provokes me to worship what I've created and praise you. Who the? <laughs> and the Jews couldn't get that. But our father Abraham, but our father Abraham, he, your father, Jesus, Paul is here just saying, your father Abraham is not going to get you into the presence of my father and your God I am going to do that look with me at John chapter 9 I'm not going fast enough but that was just too good we receive God's praise mm. you say prove that didn't Jesus praise the faith of the centurion who was a heathen I have not found such a greater faith in all of Israel. He was Hulah, the faith of a pagan soldier. The woman with the demon-possessed child. 
But even dogs worthy of the crumbs of the table. <sighs> Listen to the faith of this woman. Who doesn't know the law. But knows me. Wow. That's why people say. I just don't know enough scriptures. Just know God. Know him. It's not how much theology and scripture and definition you can know. Know God. God, and when you know God, things move and things happen. Amen. John 9, verse 41. If you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty, Jesus replied. But you remain guilty because you claim you can see. Here he is talking to the Jews. If you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty. If you didn't know the word, hello, if you didn't know what to disobey, then you'd be blind. But because, but you remain guilty because you claim you can see. I love the message. Jesus said, if you were really blind, you wouldn't be blameless. But since you claim to see everything so well, you are accountable, there's that word again, for every fault and failure. You're accountable for every fault and failure. We won't go there because of time, but write this down. Revelation 3, 17 through 19. We did a series on the uh, seven letters of the book of Revelation. And he says, you think you have it all together and you've got everything and you're prosperous. And you sit back and you say, I have no need of nothing. He says, you don't know that you're blind and you're naked. You're thirsty and you're wanting. It's empty. Mark chapter 7, we're right there. So let's look at Mark chapter 7, verse 6. I'm so glad all the saints are joined us by internet and watching us instead of something boring. Matthew chapter 7, verse 6. Mark, yeah, Mark chapter 7. I'm sorry, Mark chapter 7, verse 6. It says, Jesus replied, Oh, the words of Jesus. Jesus replied, You hypocrites! That's not politically correct now, is it? Isaiah was right. The word is always right when he prophesied about you. He wrote, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce. For they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. For you ignore God's law and substitute your own tradition. Then he said, you skillfully, listen to how he words this, you skillfully sidestep God's law in order to hold on to your tradition. Sidestep the law of God. He was saying, you know what you're doing. You know the scriptures prophesy about me, but because I don't meet the outward expectation, you've rejected me. That's powerful. Look at Isaiah chapter 29. Isaiah 29. Verse 13. Isaiah 29 verse 13. Once again it says, so the Lord says. How many of you know that? That just puts fear and trembling in you right there. For the Lord says. These people say they were mine. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts, their obedience, where is it? It's far from me. And their worship of me 
is nothing but a man-made rules learned by root. Because of this, I will once again astound these hypocrites with amazing wonders. The wisdom of the wise will pass away, and the intelligence of the intelligent will disappear. What sorrow awaits those who tried... This is, this is powerful. What sorrow awaits those who try to hide their plans from God? Who do their evil deeds in the dark? The Lord can't see us, they say. He doesn't know what's going on. How foolish can you be? Then he goes into the potter and the clay. I see it. Matthew chapter 23. Matthew 23, verse 28. Somebody's praying for a cell phone to ring. (laughs) Matthew 23, verse 28. This is the Living Bible. Words of Jesus once again. Outwardly, you look like righteous people. Outwardly, you look like righteous people. But inwardly, Your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law, you Pharisee hypocrites? For you build tombs for the prophets your ancestors killed, and you decorate the monuments of the godly people your ancestors destroyed. Then you say, if we had lived in the days of our ancestors, we would never have joined them in killing the prophets. But in saying that, you testify against yourselves that you are indeed the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Go ahead and finish what your ancestors started. Snakes, son of vipers. Boy, how many know Jesus was tough? How many know he wasn't seeker friendly? I have not heard this type of message on TV in I don't know how long. Snakes! Hypocrites! Son of vipers! How can you escape the judgments of hell? Therefore, I am sending your prophets and your wise men and teachers of religious law. But you will kill some by crucifixion. He's talking about himself and his disciples. You will flog others with whips in your synagogues. Chase them from city to city. And as a result, you will be held responsible for the murder of all godly people of all time. From the murder of the righteous Abel to the murder of Zechariah, the son of Barakiah. Whom you killed in the temple between the sanctuary and the altar. I tell you the truth. This judgment will fall on this very generation. And then Jesus cries out. Oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem. The city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers. How often I wanted to gather you children. Your children together as hen protects her chicks beneath her wings. But you wouldn't let me. And now look. Your house is abandoned and desolate. For I tell you this, you shall never see me again until you say, Blessed blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, verse 46. Thank you for your word, Father. Thank God for a sharp two-edged sword. Amen? Luke 6, 46. So why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? Boy, that's it in a nutshell. Disobedience. Disobedience. 
I will show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and then follows it. It is like a person building a house on a deep, digs deep and lays a foundation on solid rock. When the floodwaters rise and break against the house, it stands firm because it's well built. That's what she sung about tonight. But anyone who hears and doesn't obey, doesn't obey. He hears, got knowledge, but doesn't obey. It's like a person who builds a house without a foundation. And when the floodwaters sweep down against the house, it will collapse into a heap of ruins. It's not the outward appearance. It's not what we say. It's who we are in character. Amen? Well, this, 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 this is the message. It says, why are you so polite with me? Always saying, yes, sir. That's right, sir. But never do a thing, I tell you. These words I speak to you are not mere additions to your life, homeowner improvements to your standard living. There are foundation words, words to build a life on. If you work the words into your life, if you work the words into your life, that is so profound there in the message. If you work the words into your life, if you work the words into your life, if you work the words into your life, you are like a smart carpenter who dug deep and laid the foundation of his house with a bedrock. Then the river burst, its banks crashed against the house. Nothing could shake it. Nothing could shake it. Nothing could shake it. It was built to last. But if you just use my words in Bible studies, <laughs> if you just use my words in Bible studies, that's what it says right here. And don't work them into your life. You are like a dumb carpenter. Dumb carpenter. That's what it says here. It's written right here in the message translation. Some people saying, you say it a bad word. No, I'm not. Dumb Carpenter, who built a house, but skipped the foundation. That's what it says in the message. Oh, we'll skip that. Oh, I don't want to read. I don't want to read that. I'd rather skip over that verse. I'd rather not go to church on Wednesday night. We'll skip Wednesday night because I know it's going to be hellfire and brimstone. I'm going to find something little to complain about because the truth is I'm convicted over the way I live. But let's skip that. And find something little to get a hold of. Because we don't want to go to the true meaning. But that's really not my problem. I got a tapeworm. Then the river comes crashing in and it collapsed and the house of cards that's what it says and the house of cards it's a total loss you've been building a house of cards it looks good and it's fun as long as it's fun let's do it but if it's going to break my back count me out 1 John chapter 3 1 John chapter 3 you go back and read these in the message I want to encourage you uh, we use eight translations normally. Uh, so it'd be good to get Bibles that have four each. And uh, you can really go back and study. They, 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 they say things to make you think, don't they? First John 3, 18. This is the living. Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let's show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong. I love the way it says this. We belong to the truth. What church do you belong to? I belong to the truth. What's your doctrine? I belong to the truth. Well, don't you know if you don't do this, I belong to the truth. 
The truth is how God's revealed it to me according to the word backed it up by the ministers. So we will be confident when we stand before God. Verse 20. Even if we feel guilty. Even if we feel guilty. I mean, have you ever felt guilty? God is greater than our feelings. Boy, you need to underline that. God is greater than our feelings and he knows everything. Isn't that good? Now, friends, if we don't feel guilty, we can come to him with bold confidence. And we receive from him whatever we ask because we obey. Because we what? There it is. We what? We obey him and do the things that please him. And guess what? We know we have confidence and we know that he hears us when we pray. You know why? Because when I'm obeying God, I'm doing what God's telling me to do. He is already praising me. I'm already in that right relationship with my Savior. So when I'm walking in obedience and I'm doing what the Word of God says and I want to please God with all of my heart, He is praising me. So when I enter into my presence, He goes, Hey, Russ, I was just talking about you. My son, my vessel, my well-beloved son. Don't you see the dove right here? I'm picking this joke. <laughs> Y'all look at me like I'm crazy. You know, you know when Jesus got out of the water, the dove descended. That's what I'm He said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Well, I could get in the presence of God because he's saying that. Father, I come to ask, I already know. Hey, I've been waiting for you. I've been praising you in front of Gabriel and all the angels. Come sit on my lap and tell you, Daddy, what you want. Oh, I found somebody who's obedient. I found someone who doesn't want to compromise. I found someone who doesn't want the easy way out, but he's willing to struggle and move into the things of the Spirit. Hmm. Romans chapter 3. Man, just meditate on that. It won't, build, it won't make you feel arrogant and prideful. It humbles you to think, God, what you singing songs of praise about me for? Hmm. Chapter 3. We're in chapter 3. Let's give the Lord a hand. No, I'm picking. This is New Living. Then what's the advantage of being a Jew? Then what's the advantage of looking and dressing and going there? What's the advantage of doing it on the outward? What's the advantage of being a Jew or this or that or the other? Is there any value in the ceremony or a circumcision? Yes, there's great benefits. First of all, the Jews have were, in, were the Jews were entrusted with the whole revelation of God. Do you realize we've got more revelation given to us now? Oh my God! You see that they were given. They were entrusted with the whole revelation of God for the world, but they went the way of the world. True. Some of them were unfaithful, but just because they were unfaithful, does that mean God will be unfaithful? Of course not. Even if any, everyone else is a liar, God is true. As the scriptures say about him, you will be proved right in what you say, and you will win your case in court. Verse 5, but some might say, our sinfulness serves as good. This is where it gets interesting, and, and I'm going to have to try to get to a close. This, this is interesting. Oh, my, my, my. But some might say, our sinfulness serves 
a good purpose. For it helps people see how righteous God is. Isn't it unfair then for him to punish us? It's a good, God is blessed that I'm a stinking sinner. God is so blessed that I committed this sin and that sin and the other sin. God, I'm giving God an opportunity to show his mercy. Why is he going to punish me when my sin is letting everybody see my God's good? What it goes on to say. This is merely a human point of view. Verse 6. Of course not. If God were not entirely fair, how could he be qualified to judge the world? But someone might still argue, how can God condemn me as a sinner if my dishonesty highlights his truthfulness and brings him more glory? And some people even slander us by claiming that we say, the more we sin, the better it is. Those who say such things deserve to be condemned. How many know this is meat? As Paul says, this is not for the lighthearted. Boy, he, he says, I'm debating, and I'm standing, and I'm not apologizing. This is what the Spirit of God is saying to write. Now, this is what they're saying. When God judges, his righteousness, when God judges, his righteousness is obvious. Therefore, when I sin, I provide an opportunity for God's righteous to, righteousness to be seen clearly. So I'm doing God a favor in providing him an opportunity to see how great God is by my sin. I am doing him a favor. Then why do I deserve wrath? That's what Paul is saying right here. I'm doing God a favor. Because if I sin, people can see how merciful and loving God is. So I'll just keep sinning to keep, make God look good. That's what Paul's bringing home here. Evil is never an option for a disciple of Christ. I can't even make God good by living right. I can only make God good by his mercy and his grace that strengthens me to live for him. The so-called license to sin is really a license to stray away. The gospel of grace provides a way for the working of the Holy Spirit. Now I'm going to go ahead and finish this for tonight. But in the, in the commentary. William Barclay. I want to finish with this. It's an awesome commentary. This writer. Writes the debate of the Apostle Paul. And, and I'll finish with this. This is the person arguing with Paul. The result of all that you have been saying. That there is no difference between Gentile and Jew. And that they are in exactly the same position. Do you really mean that? Paul replies, by no means. Then the other person says, then what's the difference? Paul says, for one thing, the Jew possesses what the Gentiles never so directly possessed, the commandments of God. Granted that. But what if some Jew disobeyed some commandments and were unfaithful to God and came under the condemnation? You have just said that God gave the Jews a special position and a special promise. Now you're going to say that at least some of them were under the condemnation of God. Does that mean that God has broken his promise and shown himself to be unjust and unreliable? Paul goes, far from it. What it does show is that there is no favoritism with God and that he punishes sin wherever he sees it. 
The very fact that he condemns the unfaithful Jew is the best possible proof of his absolute justice. He might have been expected to overlook the sins of this special people of his, but he does not. The objector. Very well then. All you do... All you have done is to succeed in showing that my disobedience has given God an opportunity to demonstrate his righteousness. My unfaithfulness has given God a marvelous opportunity to demonstrate his faithfulness. And my sin is therefore an excellent thing. It has given God a chance to show how good he is. I may have done evil, but good came out of it. You surely cannot condemn someone for giving God a chance to show his justice. Paul, an argument like that is beneath contempt. You have, only to, you have only to state it to see how intolerable it is. When we distangle this passage in this way, we see that there's a certain basic thought Paul has in regard to the Jews. You being a Jew, us being a Christian, is not just a special privilege, it's a special responsibility. It's a special responsibility that the Jews never got a hold of. God entrusted the Jews with the commandments. You're a special people. Therefore, you must live a special life. What makes you so special? God. His mercy, the justice on Jesus Christ at the cross. His blood. That has valued me. Gave me purpose. Mm. The Jews could never grasp the fact. That God's special choice. Was for special duty. Responsibility is always the other side of privilege. The more opportunity we have to do right. The greater our condemnation. If we do wrong. Wow. I'll finish with this. Paul was always sure that God's rejection of Israel was not final. Because of this rejection, a door was opened to the Gentile. And in the end, the Gentiles will bring back the Jews within the fold. That's happening. Gentile and Jew would be one in Christ. How many of you know we are seeing that more and more today? Isn't that awesome? We are becoming Jew and Gentile. It is so awesome. The tragedy of the Jews was that the great task of road evangelism they had, might had had, was designed for them, but they refused it. It was therefore given to the Gentiles. Thank God. We were able to evangelize the world and still doing it. They rejected Christ and God gave us the Billy Graham and the D.L. Moody and the Benny Hinn and the Right Heart Bunky. Oh, thank God. We have had the awesome privilege of evangelizing the world and telling the world that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. The Jews who evangelize the Gentiles, well, we see it has changed to where it's the Gentiles that are evangelizing the Jews. And it still is today. But the day is coming when the Jews will cry out and receive Christ. And it's happening now, but it shall happen that they shall look upon the one whom they pierced. And they shall cry out to Jesus. Wow. So, so many revelations tonight, but Paul is encouraging us 
Be responsible with the privilege. And with the privilege comes responsibility. Tell others about your Jesus. Become, I, I don't know how to witness. Become so full of Jesus that that's all you can talk about. Become so full in love with Jesus that's, that's all you want to see. Who has your heart has your tongue. Amen. Wow. Thank you, Lord. Let me stop. I thought I was going to finish this tonight. We, I wanted to get to salvation in verse 20. Chapter 3, verse 21 starts about us in salvation. But this was good. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's stand, believers. Praise God. Oh, Father, we praise you for your word. And Lord, I know there's no one here that wants to be identified with those that you called hypocrites, snakes, vipers, liars, dishonest. Our heart's desire and the reason people are here on a Wednesday night is their desire is to be known as disciples of Jesus Christ. Thank you for the privilege. But give us grace and wisdom for the responsibility of living and telling about you. Awaken us and let us taste. Just one taste. Just let us taste. Every day, something new and something special about you that keeps us just wanting to come back for another taste. More of you. May we never be satisfied and slip away with the traditions and, and things by man, but oh, may we always be craving the eternal word of God. It's truth. God's truth. Enlighten our eyes. Enlarge our hearts. And I thank you for that river that never runs dry. We praise you for divine revelation. We surrender our hearts to you tonight, Father. Be glorified in our lives. And may we be worthy of your praise. Because you are so worthy of all of ours. We praise you tonight, Adonai. We praise you tonight, Adonai. We glorify you, Lord God Almighty. We humble ourselves and glorify you, Almighty God. Oh, for you are truly the Elohim, Adonai. You are the Almighty God. And we, your body, your church, we worship you as our head, through our head, Christ Jesus. Make us sufficient in all things. May we be bound in unity and love to walk and work the works of Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you, saints. God bless you. We love you. Sunday morning, boy, we're going to have a good time. I'm working on something special. Love you. I bless you. You need prayer. We'll be here to pray with you. But please, before you go, hug a neck. Tell somebody that you love them. And once again, thank you for coming out on a Wednesday night. I, I appreciate it. And I know the Lord does. He, he's proud of you. God bless you. Amen.